John chapter 11. And today we're going to conclude this series of seven messages that we've been engaged in, uh, titled simply, Jesus in Quotes. And the reason for that is because John, at the very beginning of his gospel, signaled the viewpoint or the angle from which he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was going to provide us with um, information about the life and ministry of Jesus. He starts by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he'll go on to make it crystal clear he's talking about Jesus. So John wants us to know that Jesus is God speaking to us. And not just in the things that he said, but also what he did and who he was. Everything about Jesus was God speaking to us. And so we are looking at the seven miracles that John records for us. Out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, and there was more than could be recorded, John selected seven to use as examples of what Jesus did in terms of his miraculous ministry. But remember, from the viewpoint of what is God saying to us through these acts, his miraculous deeds. There are two, uh, the Gospel of John is built around two sevens. Seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. And seven miracles, as I've already said. And here in ver chapter 11, the two sevens Across, they they join up, they uh, uh, Im they impact us together, and um, so there is so much in chapter eleven of the uh, book of John that there's no way we're going to this morning come anywhere close to exhausting the rich treasures that are here, and I'm going to leave behind or beside uh, the, the focus we could take on the amazing I am statement we find here where Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life. I, I can't even really go there this morning. I'm going to focus on the miracle side which let me just tell you the end uh, from the beginning that this story ends with Jesus uh, bringing to life a man who had been dead and in the tomb four days. A man named Lazarus. A mighty powerful miracle. But we already know that because we have been observing through as in this uh, as we made our way through the Gospel of John to this point we've already seen Jesus do powerful amazing things we already know God is powerful so what God was speaking to us in raising Lazarus from the dead was not just well here's here you go again let me just show you how powerful I am that's not the point there are other things that he is saying to us in this passage and I believe or in this not only in this passage but in the uh, story that unfolds here in the deed of, the, of that Jesus performs of raising Lazarus from the dead God is speaking to us and I believe that one of the things and there are so many but that one of the things that God is speaking to us through what Jesus did here has to do with resurrection has to do with resurrection <laughs> And not just raising a person to life. He does that. But you and I both know there are other things that can die besides our physical bodies. Marriages can die. 
dreams can die. Um, your financial portfolio can die. There's lots of things. And a lot of us have experienced what it means to go through or what it feels like to go through those times when something is either dying or has died. And I believe the Lord wants us to see that there, that He is the Resurrector. He is the one who can bring to life that which we consider to be dead. Yesterday, we had a big memorial service here for one of the founding uh, members of our church who has passed away. And <clears throat> I just, you know, I do this every Sunday, but um, yesterday I was scanning the congregation just casually, and you, and you see the stories. You know, I see people's faces, and I think of the stories, the stories of resurrection that I see. And I remember just, uh, you know, as I was doing that, my eyes settled on a couple that had their marriage in the grave. But it's been resurrected by Jesus. So the stories of resurrection that God is wanting to write in our lives, uh, we get some glimpses of how that can happen here and that's what I want to pursue with you. Verse 1, chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. These three siblings, a brother, Lazarus, and two sisters, Mary and Martha, were friends of Jesus. We really don't know the whole backstory, but we do know that they were close. <clears throat> Verse 3. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, this is not, he's not got a, just a common cold. He's, he's terminally ill when they send this message to Jesus. He's dying. And they did what you would do. They called out for Jesus, their friend. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And that's not a, that's not a translation error. It says there that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, he stayed where he was for two more days. It's startling. It's like, what? I mean, if you can, I love you. If you came to me or called me on the phone and said, Randy, we need your help, you know, I would drop everything. I'd be on my way there in the next breath. We're told here that Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary so he stayed where he was for two more days. Every time I read that, it just startles me. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's no small thing. This is important. Everything that Jesus did, he did as our example. He's showing us things. He's speaking to us. Now, here's the thing you might not know right off the top of your head, but if you do the math as it's laid out here in this passage, 
by the time um, the message reaches Jesus, Lazarus, Lazarus is already dead. So it's a two-day trip from Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived to where Jesus was in Galilee. By the time the message gets to him, Lazarus has died. So Jesus stays there two more days and then travels two days to Bethany so that when he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead four days. Usually what I hear people say when they talk about this little strange thing here about Jesus staying two more days before traveling to Bethany, what they'll usually say is, well, uh, God was setting up a more dramatic resurrection because that meant that Jesus couldn't get there before he died. So then he gets to re uh, raise him from the dead and besides that he's been dead for four days. A dramatic, um, powerful display of God's glory, which it is, don't get me wrong. But I don't think God plays those kinds of games with us. I don't think he was torturing Martha and Mary for the sake of just showing off or showing that he was powerful. And, and when you think about it, if he'd have left the minute he heard the news, by the time he got there, Lazarus would have already been dead and in the tomb two days. So two days, four days, when you raise somebody from the dead, it's kind of all the same, really, you know? So that's not why. He's making a point, and it's an important one, and we'll come back to it. Verse um, 17. What I, and what happens in between is uh, Jesus says, okay, now let's go to Judea. Let's travel to Bethany. And his disciples don't want him to go because the last time he was down there, uh, people tried to stone him to death. And uh, so they try to talk him out of it, but he's insistent, so they all go. Verse 17. So when Jesus came... He found that he, Lazarus, had already been dead in the tomb four days. Verse 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, I'm not going to badmouth Mary, but it's pretty clear to me that if Mary and Martha are in, the, are in the same house, they likely got the same word about Jesus' arrival at the same time. But it says here that Mary immediately gets up to go to Jesus. I mean, excuse me, Martha does, and Mary stays put. She remains in the house. I, I doubt whether, you know, she's just ticked off at Jesus and for not coming sooner and, you know, trying to show her displeasure by not going to him. I don't think that's the case. But there is something about the desperation of Martha we need to note. That as soon as she hears Jesus is nearby, she's racing to him. And when she gets to him, she says this. Verse 21, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's hard to know whether, you know, she's, there's a question in that statement. She makes the statement, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's hard to know if there isn't a question embedded in that, which is, why weren't you here? Or she was just 
making a statement of, of confession of her faith. And I know you could have done something if you would have been here. It's hard to know. Either way, poignant moment, she races to him and says these words. Verse 22, though, she says, But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, this is not a fully formed, blazing bonfire of faith because in the, you know, in the, in the next couple of verses where Jesus says, your brother will rise again, she says, I know he'll rise again in the, in the last day. But Jesus takes this little spark of faith that she has when she says, but even now, I know God will give you what you ask. And that little, uh, that little ember of faith, Jesus over the next few verses blows on it, brings it to life again to where she, she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Profound statement of faith in response to his saying, I am the resurrection and the life. So he draws the faith out of her, brings her to a point of trusting in him. Verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, and, and that just means he's very deeply moved by the sorrow of, of the friends and family that are around, groaning in himself. Shortest verse in the Bible is a little bit before that, in verse 35, where it says Jesus wept. Groaning in himself, he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So Jesus said, <clears throat> take away the stone. And Martha, this is an interesting kind of humorous scene. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, uh, Lord, uh, by this time there is a stench. For he's been dead four days. Verse 43, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose, or said to them, loose him and let him go. As I've already acknowledged, a powerful, mighty miracle, and there's, there's lots here in this passage that speaks to uh, about eternity and God's power over death and more than we're going to be able to deal with this morning. But I want you to see what I think God is saying to us about those times when we're facing the loss of something dear. The potential death of something that we are concerned, or someone that we're concerned about. And the first thing I notice in this passage is that when Mary and Martha, when their brother, when it was determined that he was on his deathbed, <clears throat> They sought Jesus. They called on him. And so should you. In those times when that relationship is dying. Well, here's what we do though. We, 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 we do everything we can to try to resuscitate this corpse. We throw all of our effort at trying to 
you know, figure out a way to get that hope to rise up again in us. We try to re-engineer. We try everything we can to fix things ourselves. And usually, I'm not saying that we should not uh, be engaged in the uh, in our, the activities of our lives to do our best with those kinds of situations, but our best is not resurrection. We need to call on him. He's the only one who knows how to do that. Call on him. And then we need to give him time. Man, this is hard for us because when when things are not going well, we are so desperate for him to catch the next plane to us. You know, we want him here now. We want him to do this now. He rarely does. There is no way to know, there's no way, I'm going to have to wait until I am face to face with Jesus to ask him several things, one of which is, why did you wait two more days? Because there's no way to know. But what I do know is that his timing is not mine. And as long as I insist on him doing things by my watch, it's not going to go well. God is not slow. He's not just sort of, you know, taking his time. <laughs> but he's strategic about things that have to do with the eternal realms that I have no way of understanding. I need to trust him with that. So do you. I need to get comfortable with the timetable of God. And so do you. Hard. Hard. But so critical. I'll just leave that with you for a minute. <laughs> we need to give him time. And that will kind of lead us to the next thing usually, which is we need to bring him our disappointment. We need to bring him our confusion, our doubt, even our anger. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever had those conversations with Jesus? I don't get this, Lord. Uh, this isn't how it's supposed to go. This isn't the way I thought the script was supposed to be written. If we don't bring that stuff and lay it at his feet... If we don't come and just cough up all that stuff before the one who can do something about it, we'll never get to the next thing, which is to trust in him. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know Whatever you ask, God will give you. And that little, after we've dumped our doubts and confusion and disappointment, there's an ember of faith there 
that the Lord would like to fan into flame, bring to life in us, so that there can be real trust in Him to bring back to life that which we think is lost, because He is able. But there's one more thing, and this one we almost always forget. Or maybe it isn't that we forget, we just don't like it very much. We need to open the tomb. Because there's stuff that stinks in there. <laughs> See, when we're going through this kind of thing, we always imagine that it's just, you know, we're, it's just happening to me, I don't know why. That can be the case, but, you know, just from my own personal experience, my own life, and from pastoring and caring for lots of people for decades now, I've figured out most of the time when I open the tomb, eesh, there's something I need to repent of, something I need to confess, something I need to get cleaned up. We, we don't like this. We, we like to, we're pretty good at, at spinning ourselves so that we have this, uh, you know, we always look like, like we have it all together, that we, we want to present ourselves in the best light and we get so used to that, we spin ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves. It's so amazing to me how often I find myself uh, thinking, oh my goodness, how could this have happened to me? And then the Holy Spirit will open the tomb and I go, oh no, okay, I, I, I get it. Lord, I, I need to deal with this. Dear ones, don't miss that. Don't miss that. You know, we, we, call, we use the term denial. That's what it's about. The refusal to open the tomb and deal with the stink in there. That's denial. And resurrection follows that. This is recording number 11253 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 2, 2017. This is the seventh and final message in a series titled, Jesus. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Resurrection.